0: Welcome to another episode
1: of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler, and we are moving forward in our series on the doctrines of grace. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Uh, I think uh, so far, I think it's been very helpful uh, for many people. You know, I just uh, heard from some folks at the church on Sunday who are listening and they were saying, man, I, I haven't really ever thought deeply about salvation uh, before, or what exactly God has done. So just to kind of give a backtrack of the things we've talked about, we started with total depravity, right? We wanted to understand our nature apart from Christ and what the implications are for that. And what we've discerned from the scriptures is that man is dead in their trespasses period, the end. There's no way to have new life that a dead man can cause, right? Uh, He can't bring himself back to life, right? That was the big kind of big takeaway. Then we talked about unconditional election and how therefore can a dead man be brought to life? Well, uh, we we, uh, argued that the Lord in his infinite Uh, sovereignty and wisdom does all things according to the counsel of uh, his own will and his own plan. And he has predestined a people to believe upon him and that, that destination is secured in his work and not of our own. So we're not arguing for a meritocracy. We are arguing for a chosen mercy (laughs) uh, expressed by God on a particular people. Which kind of moves us into this third doctrine of the gra- of grace, which is known historically as limited atonement. Matt and I like to use language like particular atonement or definite atonement. Um, Matt likes to say particular more because it gives him a more historical uh <laughs> security. He likes to wear wigs and
0: robes when he preaches. <laughs> the reason Neil says that is because back in the day, early Baptists were called particular Baptists. Right. Uh, those that had a more Calvinistic or reformed soteriology uh, who, who held to the, the doctrines of grace. And they, so they called themselves particular Baptists right. uh, because the atonement was particular to a people. And then I like saying
1: definite because I'm a simple-minded man. And I think, well, who did Christ's atoning work on the cross? Well, like, who did he accomplish it for? He definitely accomplished it for the elect. And so, he
0: definitely did it.
1: <laughs> he definitely done did it. Yeah, right. So today we're going to talk about uh, limited atonement. But I think it's helpful that we first consider the atonement. Uh, which is something Christians agree upon, right? We agree that Christ has paid a debt with his blood that we cannot pay for ourselves. We see this expressed in texts like Romans chapter 3, and I'll start in verse 25 and read through uh, 26. Actually, I want to go to 27 because, no, I'm going to go to 28. All right. Uh, We'll go 25 to 28. So here's what it says. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement or a propitiation, as some translations say, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins or passed over sins committed beforehand Uh, unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So, and he talks about a, a people group from there. Um, so we we hear some um interesting words in that text, matt that yeah. really that really kind of should drive us deep into understanding what Christ has done, what his work was, right so we hear words like propitiation by his blood uh, Matt, do you want to define propitiation real quick?
0: um not
1: really <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. So sacrifice, sacrifice, a a payment of a debt, right? Uh, the There was a blood debt we all owe because of our sin, and Christ entered into that space and paid that for us, right? We could not pay it. And so, it Neil, was...
0: Yeah, go ahead. To, to keep us from mixing metaphors, uh, we see Paul using language of uh, religion right? Mm -hmm. The sacrificing of a lamb, um, the propitiation language there. But we also see a legal language. And so um, this is very much language of the court and language of the temple. Um, So just to make sure we understand the background of what's going on here, uh, Paul is using very um, particular language when it comes to uh, religion and the court.
1: Yeah, so uh, a both-and approach, right? So the religion, yep. or I'm sorry, the language yep. of the temple he's using is sacrifice, right? Propitiation by his blood. So Jews would know that um, on Sabbath, uh, particularly, um, and at the the Passover, time of Passover, uh, rather, uh, what would happen is everyone from... Um, Israel would gather in Jerusalem, and they would bring lambs with them, unblemished lambs with them. And on the the thirteenth day of the month, which would be a Friday, they would give that lamb to the temple priest to sacrifice for them, and that would ensure the sacrifice paying for their sins for that year. And they would do this every year, right, at this time of the festival of unleavened bread uh, or Passover, and so. Paul's now using this language uh, and uh, and putting it on Jesus. So he's saying Jesus has come as essentially the sacrificial lamb to pay a penalty for all of the sins, right? He says uh, "Divine in God's divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. So he has paid the price in its totality. And so his blood's atoned for all of sin. And then he shifts into that legal language like, Matt was talking about Um, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's saying he has to be just so a punishment for sin must be paid legally. uh, But he also is the justifier. So he declares you righteous by his own work, by his own sacrifice. So he's giving us two key pictures for us to understand this atoning work of Christ.
0: Yeah. And I'd say, uh, you know, we would, we would describe this as a penal substitutionary atonement. Um, he is paying the penalty for us. Uh, and so that's, that's what it is. So the question, you know, and I think all believers, all, all, Christians, Protestant believers, at least, um, will agree that about this, about the atonement. All right. The atonement mm-hmm. was necessary, what Christ did, Um, but what, what is being contended, um, in this doctrine is what is the extent of that atonement? Yeah. Did Christ die? Did he make the legal satisfaction for every single human being that has ever existed? Or did it, was it to a particular or limited group? Um, or did he, um, secure possible salvation or did he secure definite salvation? Uh, and that's really where the wrestling uh, with this doctrine comes in. And I think uh, partly it's this, this doctrine has been diluted um, out of an effort to, um, maybe a misguided effort to encourage evangelism, um, or maybe a, out of an effort to protect God from a charge of, injustice or unfairness. Um, but obviously for me, the biblical text reigns supreme. Um, so what God reveals about himself, I want to trust and believe in. Um, and just as Neil read the Romans passage, which is very much legal language and temple language, um, I'm a simple man. So I like the uh, john 10 about Mm -hmm. the good shepherd. And this is just a rich passage that that I'm not going to read the whole thing for. But essentially, verse three, the gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Um, And then talks about they know his voice. They don't follow a stranger because they know who he is. And he talks, Jesus keeps talking and he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Um, He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, not the wolves, not the goats, the sheep. Um, And he goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me. Uh, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, and then he says, But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. And so it, we we just have this repetition of a particular group that know that Jesus knows, that they have been foreknown. Um, and so for me, that text has just really... Driven home that there is a particular group that Christ has died for, uh, and it has achieved its goal.
1: Yeah, so limited atonement really addresses the question: well, for who did Christ do all this? Who did Christ, you know, pay a, a pay the death penalty for, you know, through the shedding of his blood? Who did Christ through his work justify? Who who is this? And like John 10 says, what Matt's saying is Limited atonement argues that Christ did this for his flock, particularly, and not everyone's flock. So, you know, just to give some biblical background to that John 10, I think it's really helpful because, you know, in in our culture, right, Matt, we're not not sheep herders by uh, vocation very often anymore. Um, That's not a normal uh, vocation for many. So uh, in this time and day and age, they would really keep all sheep together, no matter what shepherds, what what flocks, they'd mix the flocks, right? And so the, the sheep knew their shepherd's voice specifically. And so when that shepherd would call, his sheep would leave the gate and not stay in the gate because they knew his voice. Whereas uh, if that, flock belong to a different shepherd, it 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 would never leave. Like right? it it, it would, nothing could compel it because they don't trust that voice. Sheep are sheep are uh very interesting creatures in that regard, right? So what Jesus is saying, I stand at the gate, I am the gate, and I stand outside calling my flock, and they hear me because they're mine and they come to me. The other ones don't. And so um, that's just some helpful historical and biblical background to understand the imagery that Jesus is is using for his argument.
0: And here's the thing, Neil: not everyone limits Christ's atonement um, at some point. Yeah, and and even if they say that Christ died for everyone, I think that they would still agree with Hebrews chapter two sixteen saying that Christ's work was not offered on behalf of angels, right? So Christ's atonement did not atone for the fallen angels. So there is already a limitation going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it seems inconsistent about unfairness when they say every human being needs to have been atoned for and then leave out the angels as well. Yeah, so... So it's important. We kind of, I think we, everybody
1: agrees there are people in hell today, right? Right. Um, So the first phase line that you provided is, well, we would agree that Christ's shedding of blood did not save Satan, did not save demons. Um, Then we would also take it, take it another step. And we would say, um, well, we know people are in hell. So Christ's blood was not shed. And they may argue differently, but I think, you know, logically, um, I think simply from the biblical text, it says this, um, that Christ's blood was not shed for those people. Because if Christ's blood was shed for those people, according to Romans 3, they would be saved. They would be justified, right? Yeah. Uh, the the blood penalty for them would not have been paid because if it was paid, they would have salvation. There would not be people in hell. So that kind of takes out the universalists, right? Yeah. So the, the universalists argue, man, Christ came, he died for all and everyone in history. Past, present, future will be saved. Kumbaya. Yeah, all sins right. are
0: forgiven for every single person.
1: Yeah. And and why why is that? argument um an affront to God you think?
0: <laughs> There's many, many reasons because first off, God is holy. Yes. Um and um I know you have something in mind. So tell me tell me what you're thinking.
1: Well I think it deflates the seriousness of sin for one because of his holiness like you were saying. Man, because God is holy he takes sin seriously. And there is no way about that. And for him to vindicate all sin, uh, period, uh it would be unjust. Like he wouldn't be just anymore.
0: Um there'd be no I would, there'd be no I would consequence, argue, right? Yeah, and I would argue that disobedience to God's command to believe in Christ is certainly a sin. Yes. Right. So if an atheist or an agnostic Refuses to believe in Christ. I mean, that's a sin. Why would he be forgiven for the sin of rejecting Christ, who is the atonement? And, anyways, it's just a—it's one of those is a silly argument that I think people like the idea because it sounds really nice, uh, but there's no practical value to it. So that so that really injustice. Yeah. So that moves out two kind of phase
1: lines. Now we kind of where everybody argues on the third, right? And so why, why don't you paint the picture of, of really what we're talking about then?
0: Outside yeah. Outside so of we, heresy. <laughs> yeah. So we would, we would say that Christ, Christ's atonement, Christ's death on the cross was for this, the sins of a particular people uh, throughout time, past, present, future. Um that his sin was efficient or effective to cover the sins of a particular people. Or his blood. I think you said blood. his sins. <laughs> That's what I mean, yeah. yeah his, his, his death for our sins uh, covers our sins completely. Yes. Um, his particular people. Uh, the Jews who believe and the Gentiles who have been grafted in. Hmm. So, So what? Why is this important? Yeah, well, this is uh, wildly important uh, in knowing how to evangelize, uh, for one thing. We talked a little bit about unconditional election. Um, but if I was to present the gospel, would I say Christ died for you um, to an unbeliever who refuses to believe? Well, that would just mean that Christ dying it was ineffective, hmm. right? It didn't do any good. Um, So you have that aspect, but I would call on them to put their trust in the Lord um, with all their heart. And when they do, we recognize that his blood has covered, uh, covered them. Uh, But, you know, this is also a humbling doctrine again, um, tying in with the unconditional election. Um, What about you, Neil?
1: Yeah, I think conditional statements in the Bible are so helpful for our hearts, you know, um the tension that it, a condition naturally uh, creates. And one that you know I immediately think of is first John 1 nine, mm-hmm. If we confess uh, our sins to Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if we look back at Romans 3, right, uh, we see there's a the condition here. So w- one of the things I see uh, poorly articulated in um, churches today is there's no robust uh, theology of forgiveness, right? So one of the things they, that they communicate as an assumption is that God has died for all and forgiven all, right? And then right. there's texts like 1 John 1.9 that says, no, there's a condition to it. Uh, if we, confess. Um, yeah. and then we go back to unconditional election, total depravity, we realize that 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 if we <laughs> that thing we do cannot be done unless God has done regenerate work in us. So when he's done a regenerate work in us, then naturally what comes forward is confession and repentance. It's a fruit. And that and this is key, right? When we talk about limited atonement or particular atonement, um, what we're really talking about is wh- wh- where who do the benefits of salvation apply, right? right? And so one of the benefits of salvation is f- belief and repentance. Like it cannot happen apart from this work being secured for a group. They will not naturally do these things. It's unnatural for them to confess sin. Um, it's to, to a holy God, <laughs> right? Um, maybe they'll confess sin, not knowing it's sin to one another because uh, they've wronged somebody. But to a holy God, they will not confess unless the Lord has done a regenerative work in them. Um, and so definite atonement secures these benefits of salvation um, that cannot be accomplished any other way uh, or or experienced any other way. Um, and, and I'm talking about particular grace, not common grace either. Right. So, right. Uh, common grace says, you know, things like medicine, the air we breathe, the food, the provision we have, um, uh, jobs, you know, family, marriage, those are all common graces by God that every person gets to experience. But we're talking about particular grace that a particular people experience, uh, from Christ, because of what He has done in an atoning work for this group, not for everyone. So that kind of takes us to John three sixteen. Uh, how would you, you know, answer the the argument that so many make from John three sixteen regarding a uh, limited atonement?
0: Yeah, and 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 I, I do want to answer that. Um, yeah, but I don't want to lose my thought, and that's why I'm going to jump here this doctrine is important because it's dishonoring Christ and his work uh, if we neglect it. Yes. Um, You know, did Christ waste his atonement to purchase a potential or possible people, or did he die for a definite or particular people? Mm. Um, And so if he just, if his blood is wasted and ineffective in saving people, um, it's not really that great. Um, It's, It's a possibility and so um, yeah the objection of course is you know whosoever wills john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life Mm -hmm. and when they see the word world they think of every single person um, or that's how many people translate that yes the reality is john uses this word world in multiple ways, um, throughout his writings in in the book of John. And then in first and second and third John, uh, when he uses the world often he's referring to nations. Um, so people from every nation throughout the entire world. So for God so loved everyone throughout the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. And so that's a really simple one um, to discuss is when it says world, um, it means nations, um, or all ethnos, right? All peoples. Yeah. Um now it, it kind of plays off of the Matthew twenty-eight, you know, go into all the world and make disciples. Did he say that we have to go to every single person? What about the people that have died before they get there? And then yeah. yeah, so um, or when it says the Son of Man will be lifted up and it'll draw the whole world to Him, is He saying that? Did that not happen? So you know we can we can play the game where we we make this word uh, it's a it's a fallacy by making making this world this the the word world as something that it's not, um, but. I think it's helpful to to recognize what Jesus means by world.
1: Yeah, I think a, a helpful illustration that goes with, you know, the whole counsel of God's word. You know, one of the things we see from God's words, he secures a remnant for himself, right? Um, a people for himself, even amongst his own people in Israel, right? Yeah. Um, those who actually are trusting and putting their faith in him. Um, one of the illustrations that I find helpful is something kind of like the UN, right? You have all these countries that that assemble together, but they don't send every person from their country to assemble together. They send representatives of their countries uh, to this place to meet, to gather, right? And so I I think of like, you know, uh, this, this fold of sheep, right, that represent the world in their ethnos in their uh, nationalities, you know, um, but it's not every sheep, we, we see that from john 10. Uh, not every sheep, but there but the world is representative in that flock of God.
0: So the question then remains, who is Christ the mediator of this new covenant? Uh, who belongs to the, this new covenant? Uh, is it all people, or is it the particular people, or the definite people that he died for? Uh, another way we could put this is did God build a really wide bridge that only goes part way to Christ, or did he build a narrow bridge that goes all the way to Christ? Uh, and that's. That's ultimately the question, um, and this this doctrine is, can be confusing, and uh, there's been lots of different disagreements or arguments, but I also find it a very joyful doctrine um, that Christ's work on the cross was efficient and effective, and it accomplished His will. Um, when you look at uh, Scripture, you see that God the Father and God the Son uh, covenanted for a particular people before time began, uh, the church. And so we can find great joy that Christ's work was not wasted. Mm. Um, so for me, it's a great comfort. Uh, it's a great joy to have. Um, and it's a relief that there's nothing that I have to do to accomplish anything. I can rest in his atoning work. Um, and when I present the gospel, uh, I do the same thing we talked about for unconditional election. Uh Put your trust in Christ and let His blood cover you. Uh, those who do are covered. Those who don't are not. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's very simple. Uh, so I think sometimes we take a simple doctrine about our our names be writ- being written in the book of life since before the foundation of the earth, and we try to like think of think about it like as an invisible ink situation where. Um, he writes it in there, but it may get disappeared or, you know, who, who knows <laughs> what, what people are thinking. But the indelible work of Christ on the cross for his people uh, is such a beautiful doctrine.
1: Yeah. So I would say if we were to have an application from this, I think, I think definite atonement, when you understand or you have a good Christology, when you understand the work of Christ, what should produce in you, friends, is worship to Christ. So when you think, man, about the blood that was shed for every one of your sins, the former, the present, and the future, um, you you can have confidence that his blood has covered all of you. Not some of you, not a drop of it was wasted um, outside of you, but it, you have been totally forgiven. Um, totally restored. You know, it makes me think of Galatians five, one, Matt, you know, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Therefore stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The atoning work of Christ on the cross is a, um, is a picture of freedom that has been given to you. And therefore you can stand firm in that. And you don't have to submit again to slavery because you're free people. Um, Man, that produces in me a tremendous amount of hope and uh, a desire to worship my God in my thought life, in my emotions, and in my behaviors uh, at every aspect of what makes me who I am. Um, it's been affected, eff- uh, efficiently affected by Christ's atoning work for me and for His people. Um, So that makes me preach different (laughs) from the pulpit. That makes me counsel different, kneecap to kneecap. That makes me uh, lead my family different. Um, It it really does reshape and reimagine every aspect of worship in my life. Um,
0: What would you add to that, Matt? For me, it's a great comfort that not only my past sins, my present sins, but also my future sins have already been covered by the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so when I fall and I fail and I stumble and, and I sin against a holy and perfect God, Christ has already mediated that sin. Um, and it has been completely and totally effective. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the definition of the atonement determines the extent of it. And yeah. it is wholly sufficient for me um, and my sin. And so, um, that, that produces such great comfort. And it also, like you said, sp- uh, spurs me on, um, to boldly preach the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, to those that I counsel kneecap to kneecap, as you said, um, and those that I, I preach to and evangelize to. And so, uh, what a, what a great gift. It, in fact, it, it, leads to doxology. Yes. Um, to, to praise the living God uh, who died for the sins of his people and was completely effective for it. Um, and it was completely covered our sins, uh, the sins of the church. Mm. And what a yeah, blessing. So,
1: what a blessing. So friends, if you do family worship tonight, after listening to this, I hope you will maybe sing with your kids Nothing But the Blood uh, this yeah. evening. Man, get, get your mind on on his atoning work on the cross and man rest in that F- find your victory in that put your hope in that because it is the greatest source of security uh, for the people of god guys we thank you for listening to another episode of the gospel lifeline podcast until next time neil and matt we out